The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J. Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. That's correct. Benny J., take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, February 28th, 2020. But of course, it's a podcast, so who knows when you're going to be listening to this thing. It could be the year 2029, in which case you're going to want to know, well, what was on the front pages of the newspapers back in 2020? Good question. I'll answer it for you. In the front page of my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times, two aldermen accused CPS of Chris Diss. Get it? Oh. Chris Diss. <laughs> Man. Outraged Italian-Americans and council vow war with schools after vote dropping the name Columbus from holiday. And just to show you what the Tribune was doing, we always have this battle. Papers fighting it out. The Sun-Times. Newspaper wars. <laughs> That's a newspaper war. CPS loses Columbus Day discovered years. <laughs> now, I like that one. It gets right to the point. It tells you what you're about to read. It's good. He loves the Tribune, ladies it's and gentlemen. Sometimes. <laughs> Come on, Trib. I subscribe to you, too. Let's up the game. All right. As we do on every Ben Jarofsky bonus show, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Carlos Santana, guitarist. <laughs> uh, it's... Young Ken Davis. And I'm not going to do my Ken Davis imitation. Really? <laughs> no, not going to do it. Uh, Ken Davis. You're supposed to introduce yourself and say something about yourself that people should know. My name is Ken Davis. I'm a retired uh, former, I don't know, uh, media person of some kind. And um, I, over the weekend, I think the reason why I got invited here today is over the weekend, I was uh, host and convener of the Chicago Journalism Town Hall 2020. Yes, sir. Uh, Ken Davis is talk show host in Chicago. For many years, he was the host of the Ken Davis Show, only they didn't call it the Ken Davis no. Show. No. Uh, they called it Chicago Newsroom. I, by the way, have a similar uh, campaign, Ken. I've learned <laughs> that the George Stephanopoulos Show is not, in fact, called the George Stephanopoulos yes. Show, okay? <laughs> I'm outraged. <laughs> Who's the host? Now, he's going to correct me right now. Go ahead. ABC This Week is the name of the show. The guy's unbelievable. It's stuff he knows. Anyway. Um, so that's why this is the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show. We just get right down to it. Get right? to the point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, Chicago Journalism. I think we come up with a better name for the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show. The Nostalgia Corner. And now. Uh, the 70s. The, the, <laughs> the 70s, 70s show. show. Oh, wait. Yeah. Someone did that already. <laughs> Old guy rambles. Old guy. <laughs> Rambling man. I am now here's your host, Ben Jarovsky. Wait, I'm not as bad as Chris Matthews. Can we just get that out here? Okay, Chris Matthews oh, has lost I was his watching. Mind. I was watching when he had that complete brain meltdown. Which one? Well, the, the first one about um, the Sandinista. 
I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, Castro. The Cubans and Castro. Yeah. And, yeah, and like, no, you so know, you, yeah. The second one was where uh, he likened Bernie Sanders winning the Nevada caucus right, right. to uh, the Nazis invading France. Nazis, yeah, right, right. Like, <laughs> I was going to say the Sandinistas invading France, but yeah, that, would no, be, no, that, that was confusing. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that would be wrong. Right. Um, yeah. But in his, yeah, and the first one was where he certainly had this fantasy about uh, like he was a freedom fighter and Fidel Castro had invaded the United States. And he was, he, he was, was almost like, bayoneted. Yeah, you know, yeah. In, in Central Park. Like, why Central Park? Oh, my. I mean, it was so bizarre. And Ken, I'm just saying, you know, uh, I had a vigorous uh, debate with this uh, over this with um, my dear friend Monroe Anderson, who loves MSNBC uh, immensely. So yeah. I'm not allowed to say anything. Yeah critical about them yeah. and he was defending the other host but i'm just like why weren't the other people helping him like <laughs> dude stay away from the alcohol or shut up yeah. you don't know what you're yeah, saying like, chris have you not heard the the <laughs> prohibition against using the nazis or references to hitler i mean you know you can reference hitler when you're making a historic mention of something that you know the third reich did or something if you're writing a, a, an episode of a history book or something but otherwise you know, to make references, to use Hitler as your point of reference just doesn't work. It doesn't work. You're absolutely Not for anybody. Correct. Anyway, that's a tangent within a tangent. I don't yeah. even know where I came yeah. from. We do uh, tangents. Chicago Journal. Hi, my name's Ken Davis, and I am the leader in the tangent war. Uh, actually, I think I beat you in tangent war. <laughs> oh, yeah. You want to uh, you wanna... You wanna go? Let's go on a tangent. <laughs> I can't remember where I was going. We were talking about the brown line and how. <laughs> <laughs> we go to the brown line. Ken da- we actually said this on the show. Ken Davis loves, absolutely loves the overpass. I the love Billy the CTA. I love CTA rail. Oh, my God. I'm such a foamer. Yeah. But which, okay, your favorite project on, come on, let's just confess right now. Yeah. Your favorite project, bar none, is the overpass at Belmont. Am I right about I'm that? I'm renting a condo over there just so that I can wake up in the morning and watch the trains at work. Yeah. Well, every time Dennis and I are on the train going past there and we stop, we go, where's Ken Davis? He'd yeah, be out. Yeah. Which is yeah. in my head. Um, anyway, all right, let's get back to point. I had a dream the other night that I was I was in, <laughs> in charge of a construction crew that was remodeling, I think it was the division uh, station on the blue line. And I, I gave the wrong order and I told him to just take all the debris and just shovel it onto the tracks and that none of the trains could run because of my stupid mistake. That, that happened actually uh, more or less during, well, the daily years. Let's not discuss the daily years with <laughs> <laughs> public transportation. You talk about, you want to talk about divergence. You can always bring it back <laughs> well, to no, daily. Well, no, I, I mean, because, all right, let me, since we're here, There's let me just. There's always a way that you can talk about daily. All right, let me just say this, okay? What about the parking meter deal? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, okay, can I just say this? I remember the, the height of frustration for me was trying to convinced Chicagoans in 2007, and it's such ancient history. I now realize, Ken, that is 13 years ago. No one remembers this, but I'm writing articles for the reader, columns for the reader, trying to convince Chicagoans to vote for Dorothy Brown. (laughs) Oh, you're not doing that again, are you? No, over Richard M. Daly. Okay, now at this stage... I realized it was a four years daily, just so folks know, four of the most corrupt years Chicago's ever experienced. And then the central line that people say usually is, well, yeah, Chicago may be corrupt, but the train's running time. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. <laughs> At that particular moment, no. the blue line yeah, was like on yeah. fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Almost every week, so it was a train derailing or yeah. something. So yeah. I'm like, Chicagoans, you're getting the worst of both worlds. Yeah. You're corrupt and your trains don't run on time. Which is why I've always said on your show that 
Mayor Emanuel was the best <laughs> transit mayor we've ever had. He was sitting in that chair. Right here on right this right there, chair. Right there, the Fran Spielman show earlier yeah, today, yeah. Uh, right where you're sitting, looking at the same bust of Harold Washington, <laughs> wondering why is he there and not me. So, yeah, so you bring him into the studio. You're not here. I am not here. But two and a half feet away from him is a bust of, of Harold Washington. Washington. Yeah. <laughs> Just a reminder of uh, the glory days. It's and that milk carton there that says missing, Ben yeah, Jarofsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, would you like some cookies? No, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Mark Sims brought some cookies. All right, let's get down to business. Chicago what are we, what are we talking town? about? Oh, yeah. Chicago yeah, Journalism yeah. Town Hall mm-hmm. 2020. And this is to distinguish itself from Chicago Journalism Town Hall 2009. 2009. Wow. Mm-hmm. Ken Davis, you put together a show in 2009 uh, about the future of journalism at a particularly dark and bleak moment, as yeah. I recall, 2009, because yeah. there was a general recession mm-hmm. or d- depression, I'm not quite sure, or economic meltdown. Uh, and, and a, a stock market depression st- only second to what we're in living we're through right now. now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then 2020. All right, so let's just start with 2020. Why did you decide to do it again? Well, I don't know. It's hard to say. Over the years, a lot of people have said to Linda, my wife, Linda Paul, and I, uh, you know, would you like to do another one? Because that one really did kind of strike a nerve. I'd have to say it it was done at the right moment. And we've always just said, no, 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 we're not going to do it. And I think that what happened was when we started reading all these stories about Alden Global Capital and what's about to happen to the Tribune, uh, we just decided that maybe we would give it another shot. So we made a couple of calls to people just asking them, saying, if we did something like this, would you be willing to be on the panel? And pretty much nobody said no. Mm. So uh, we just kind of decided that, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. And we have this affinity with the Walnut Room uh, at at the Hotel Allegro because, you know, it was the Bismarck Hotel years ago. And again, those of us with a few rings on us, uh, (laughs) you know, old trees, we, we know that that room has such a great and hilarious history in Chicago. You know, DiArco had a table there and and uh you remember bob davis from the tribune um, yeah the one that, that jane bird kicked out of city hall yes newsroom. the guy who had his desk out in the mm-hmm. hall because she kicked him out of the newsroom yeah uh he wrote a, a piece in 1999 in the tribune about the walnut room and the storied history of the walnut room not only not only that it was the headquarters of the democratic the cook county democratic party and daly's office was just up above on the fifth floor so if you wanted to cut a deal the place to go was the walnut room <laughs> daly being old man daly old man yeah, old richard man daly. j yeah, daly. yeah yeah and uh there was there were just these hilarious asides that only bob davis could write about if only the fbi had known they would have just raided the laundry room because all the all the the uh you know, the, the developers and the contractors would come in and write their name on the tablecloth discreetly while they're speaking, and then they'd leave, and he would copy that down. He had a phone at his table. Can you imagine 1969, uh, 1970, a phone at your table? And so, you know, they were saying maybe if, if somebody had just taken all these tablecloths, they would have got all the phone numbers yeah, for all the crooked absolutely. deals that were going on. I'm anyway. sure, but anyway, the FBI was listening to everybody's conversations anyway. That's right. So yeah, yeah, they didn't yeah. need phone numbers. They, number. they were listening number. to absolutely right, right, everybody's right, right. conversations. And then, of course, the other thing that I did not know is that um, on at one minute past midnight on the first day of after Prohibition, they trucked 20 barrels of beer into the Walnut Room. 
and tapped them. <laughs> and those were the first legal beers drunk in How Chicago. How do you know that? Bob Davis. Oh, has he, a, Bob Davis. Well, Bob yeah. Davis cited a, a, a news a news article from the time of this gigantic party that was thrown in the wall. Wow. So, you know, it was nice. That is the equivalent. Now, talk about tangents. <laughs> yeah. That is the equivalent of uh, what went down January 1st of this year when reefer became legal. Yeah, Remember yeah, that? Yeah. Talk about newspapers. Yeah. The, the coverage, the newspaper coverage breathlessly reporters sent out to, you know, interview the first person in line, you know, some yeah. Billy Bob from yeah. Joliet. Yeah. I've been smoking yeah. reefer for my whole life. <laughs> so it's not a big deal to me. But it's legal. <laughs> but now I'm legal. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, uh, okay. So, so that's anyway, why so you just, that's, that's why we did it there. Yeah, so yeah, so we, yeah. we said, okay, let's rent the room again. Let's do it again. And so we did. And um, we ended up with not one, not two, but 24 panelists. Uh, we had a, a panel of 12 for the first 90 minutes. And then a little later on, we did another panel of another 12 people. And um, we have this uh, since Linda and I both, you know, have our roots in talk radio from years ago. We just kind of have this idea that it should be kind of like this. It should just be you put a bunch of people down, you give them a microphone, and you throw an idea or two out and then let them talk. And that is kind of what happened. And I'm very pleased about that. But um, very early on, uh, the, the conversation turned rather quickly to um, inclusion in the newsroom and uh, diversity in the newsroom. And and there was a lot of discussion about that. And since the since the audience we had was a younger audience, I think we kind of tried hard to get younger people and people who are in journalism school or in the early parts of their careers. It obviously resonated a lot. And there were some very interesting points made. Um, at one point, Bruce Dold, who deserves a conversation of his own since he got fired yesterday mm. as editor of the Tribune, pointed out that in the last year, I think it was the last year. I hope I'm right about that. But in a very recent period of time, 70% of their hires have been minorities. And one of the other panelists then sort of took that to task later on and said, well, that's a nice thing to say. But the real question isn't, did you hire these people? It's what did you do to make sure that they get to stay through that awkward first couple of years mm. when... Let's face it, lots of people don't, they get washed out very quickly. So that was a real interesting conversation about not only, it used to be the whole conversation was hiring people, but now the question isn't, okay, sure, you're hiring, that's great. But what happens in that time when people are, are essentially mistreated and uh, ignored, mm -hmm. and then, you know, it's last in, first out, right? So they're the people who get pushed out. So there were a lot of people, uh, minority folks in, in the room who stood up and told their stories about how, yeah, I, you know, I had this great uh, uh, fellowship or whatever it was and was being paid and everything was fine. And then it's over and it's over. And then what do you do? Yeah. Right? All right. So that's a, that's well, one of the now before I'm going to come back to that, but I just want to point out a distinction uh, at the uh, contrast. The first uh, uh, town hall meeting back in 2009, again in the midst of that uh, the economic meltdown, it was like this ex existential question was being asked: mm -hmm. is, is there a future right. uh, for newspapers, TV shows, uh, media as we know it? Yeah. Where will we be ten years from now? So it's interesting. Uh, that that would not be the lead-off topic in 2020, even though, Lord knows, it's still a very compelling issue. It, yeah, and, and I think that just has a lot to do with the fact that we 
we said from the beginning we wanted it to be a free flow of ideas, and I think that was something that was bubbling up in this room with this crowd at that moment. A different group of people would have had a different priority, I'm sure. Uh, for myself, I, I thought you know I thought that it was very important for us to get to the question of journalism and where is journalism today, 11 years later. It's it's a little different uh, as. Uh, Heather Sharon, uh, the co-host, said, you know, uh, the Sun-Times didn't look like it was going to make it for a year or two more back in 2009. It had a near-death experience. It has come back. It's stronger than it's been in a long time. So it feels like that top is kind of spinning a little bit. But now what we would never have imagined is that we're worried about the Tribune because yeah. the Tribune is is going to be almost certainly just hacked to pieces in the next well, year. Well, I have to, this, I'm going to take, take a point here, one old brain to another. In the 10 years between the time you had your first town hall and this one, the three, in terms of circulation, top newspapers, just physical newspapers, yeah. the Sun-Times, the Tribune, and my beloved reader, mm -hmm. All were either facing bankruptcy mm -hmm. or in bankruptcy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the Zell ownership of the Tribune, which was the uh, disaster crisis mm -hmm. of that preceded this particular disaster right. crisis, would have been right around the time you had your first town hall. Uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, just before, I think the Zell thing happened... Or maybe maybe not. It, it, you know, I, I can't tell you for sure, but I think it, maybe the Zell thing had just happened, and maybe that was part of the impetus for bringing the, the, it together. This, then. The Zell thing is a, yeah. a, a multi-gazillionaire. Sam Zell bought yeah. up the Tribune. Uh, it was still f flourishing back in those days, or relatively. Oh, was it ever? Yeah. 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 And uh, through by overpaying, over extending himself, borrowing too much money, a complicated convoluted financing scheme uh, the paper ended up bankrupt trying to sell the paper back to its uh, employees yeah. Uh, yeah wheeling and dealing yeah. and everybody where's he yeah, going with yeah, this yeah. nothing about producing journalism right, by the right, way Ken right. uh, not at all ah for the good days of Colonel McCormick yeah. <laughs> he knew how to produce a newspaper <laughs> say what you will about Colonel McCormick <laughs> the man knew how to run a newspaper I've been here for 20 minutes and Ben hadn't until then said say what you will right. say what you will uh so so all right well it's i guess it's an encouraging sign if you will that uh we're not talking about the existential uh, fate of newspapers and tv shows and radio shows etc radio stations what have you uh, at the town hall meeting on journalism um am i it, am i right to be a, a Bit optimistic about well, this. Well, I think that one of the one of the themes that came through in all of this is that um, I have to sort of back up a couple of a couple of steps here. Uh, in the in the original town hall, I've I've said repeatedly that I thought one of the main themes that came through was that the room quickly divided into old folks and young folks, mm. and the young folks uh, very confidently said, "We're not at all worried about the future. The future is on our hands. We know what we're doing. As soon as you guys will politely just leave the scene <laughs> and die, we will yeah. be able to solve all of this." And a, a lot of what they were offering was online news services of one sort or another and you know i'm it's not necessarily it's not necessary to name them i'm, I'm not interested in uh, you know making fun of these outfits but not a single one of them survived longer than about three or four years 
because despite the fact that they were telling us at the time that they were the only ones who knew the the financial model, they had the financial model. Their financial model was actually not that sound, and mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't survive, and they weren't able to capitalize themselves. They weren't able to grow. And I'm not saying that in a nasty way. I wish they had been more successful. That as a background, newspapers in though even in those days were still I, I there's there's an an almost an uncanny kind of a parallel to Sears. You know, they from 1900 to the end of during the entire 20th century, mm-hmm. they were everything to everybody, right? You wanted to buy something, Sears had everything. You wanted to know something, the newspapers had everything that they decided you needed to know. And it worked incredibly well because as you and I and others have said for so long, the fiscal model was, I'm the guy who owns this newspaper. I basically don't give a damn about what you journalists do. Go ahead. I'm going to build a little padded playpen over here (laughs) for you guys to work in. Meanwhile, I'm going to monetize what you're doing and I'm going to make millions (laughs) selling ads to Menards, right? right? That's how I'm going to make my money. And I really, frankly, don't care all that much about what you do. It was a great model until it didn't work anymore. Mm. And just like Sears got nibbled away at by just pants and, you know, all the other millions of uh, little stores, and then suddenly along comes Amazon and buy and just eats everybody's lunch, the same thing has happened to newspapers. They can't be everything to everybody anymore. There are too many other organizations that are taking a piece of their pie. So they have to really decide what a new, what a newspaper is going to be 10 years from now, 15 years from now. New York Times probably survive. Washington Post will survive as long as their billionaire doesn't get tired and and walk away like happened to DNA Info here in Chicago with their billionaire who decided not to do it anymore because he got ticked off because they unionized, but but we digress. So they really have to make a decision. They probably will have to downsize. They probably will have to decide what audience they want to serve because they can no longer claim to serve everybody. It just doesn't work anymore. And just like big retail has to face up to Amazon, these guys have to face up to Google and Facebook because Google and Facebook is eating their breakfast, yeah. eating their lunch, and eating their dinner. Nope. It just, it just before I be, I'm an old guy and I forget things. Let me just finish this one point. One of the things that was said at, at the town hall that I think is so interesting is that if you Google it, Newspaper A writes a really great story about something and everybody wants to read it, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the buzz is out there that there's a good story today in the Sun-Times, Tribune, whatever it is. So you Google that story. Well, Google makes money on you Googling that story. So their intellectual property is helping Google make money, right? Mm-hmm. Don't, they don't get a piece of that action. And Google and Facebook are out there monetizing this work. Now, it's not quite the same thing as we were talking about before, but it's it's very much the same in the way that the money that's being made by these exterior organizations is not accruing to the people who created that that intellectual yeah. property. And it is a big deal. Yeah. And 
you know, uh, Bruce Dold spoke, I think, eloquently about it at, uh, at the town hall, and knowing or not knowing that he was only 48 hours away from being fired. But uh, he said, you know, actually, we're doing pretty well. You know, we're doing, I think he's, I don't remember the numbers, but it's a couple of hundred thousand new online subscriptions a quarter. It's not the same as sometimes. They're like almost two million or whatever it is. I mean, but New York Times. No, I'm mean, New York Times, mm-hmm. <laughs> not the sometimes, yeah. New York Times. So, you know, but, but they're doing okay. And and their their outlook was good. It was strong. Now all you know all bets are off at this point. But this is the kind of stuff. This is what newspapers are up against. This is this is their Amazon. They're up against. Absolutely. And uh, I love to point this out before I, I, I. This has been on my mind a lot lately. Uh, I make everything political, Ken. But we've had been a lot of discussions on this show about. Uh, Bernie Sanders' plea for a national health care plan, and uh, I hear at times that when the other, when the more centrist Democrats attack it, one of the things they say they talk about are the jobs in the insurance insurance industry that will be lost, and we cannot afford that. And I just smile because I, I, I mean, I thought we were a capitalist country, and there's a marketplace, and if the marketplace changes, so be it. That's certainly the way it was in my industry, the newspaper industry. I didn't hear, uh, you know, Democratic candidates, Republican candidates saying, wait, we really should do something about the newspaper because Ben Jarofsky could lose his job. Like, I've been hanging by my fingernails for the last 15 years. But it's like, well, I hear this like, you got to understand, Ben, there's been changes in the marketplace and that's Mm. the way capitalism works. That's what they say to uh, cab drivers. Well, your medallion is worth nothing, but you got to understand. Sorry, you spent $100,000 to buy it. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. now, but Uber has this. You see what I'm saying? So it's nobody is coming to the rescue. Uh, The marketplace has set up a situation where what you're saying is Google and Facebook are predators and they just steal the product that the Tribune, the Sun-Times, the New York Times, the Reader prepares, puts it out there for everybody to read, so there's no incentive mm-hmm. for an average person to pay mm-hmm. the New York Times. So it's clearly, it just seems to me, there's like an antitrust issue there. Well, uh, some people are saying that, and that, that, that it needs to be looked at as an antitrust issue. But, you know, it's, it's actually... A little bit more subtle than that. They they would say, and and I think they would say with some accuracy, they're not stealing anything. They are helping the public find <laughs> this, right? So, I mean, you know, we were we were talking about my beloved CTA. Well, you know, what's the difference? I mean, there are ads. There are, there are ads on the wall in the subway stations, right? They're not they're not stealing anything from you. But what's going on here is that the only way you can find that story if you don't pick up the printed paper is you got to Google it. So there's really only one service. And this service isn't saying if you don't buy this product, we're not going to give you the link. They're just putting a, they're just putting a display ad next to it. But the thing is that that traffic is being, the volume of traffic is being, is being accelerated because there are people putting out good products that people want to search and Google is not willing to share the money that it's making off of those ads. The second part of this, and it's really important, is that a lot of that advertising that's going to Google for those display ads is advertising that used to be in the yes. newspaper. Because 
frankly, advertisers have figured out that they get more action off of the off of the display ads on Google because there's way more traffic, and it's not frankly hidden on page twenty three, which you don't, which you skip over because there's nothing on that page you want to read. Yeah. So it's a it's such a complicated complicated situation, but the loser is the metropolitan newspaper or mm. any newspaper really but but the, the the places that we once considered to be the fifth estate that's that's an is an essential a part of this democracy as the constitution itself that's how that's how important these vessels were and now they're just completely under attack all right now let me ask you this you say the loser is the metropolitan newspaper what about just uh, ordinary citizens do you think there's a loss that they're uh, occurring uh, as well? Is something lost? You talk about, you know, democracy. Uh, do you think, like, the struggles of the New York Times or the Sun Times or the Tribune or the Reader or whatever, uh, is that, uh, does that have an impact on ordinary citizens? Well, if you're saying the diminution of these products, yes, I'd say it would. It does have some impact. Um, does does the the acceleration of Google and Facebook uh, have in and of itself a deleterious effect on society and on on the people? Probably not. It's just it's the development of a new product that's that's highly successful and does its job very well. So it's, it gets back to that capitalism thing you were talking about. You know, um, Sears, to go back to my old analogy, Sears killed a whole lot of yeah. people when they started publishing the Sears catalog, right? They were the Amazon of their day, folks. That's the way it worked. And they put a lot of small, tiny little corner store retailers out of business. Mm -hmm. It's the way of the world. We have to accept that. But there are, there are, there are some victims that I think require those of us who care about these things to stand up and say, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. I care about an informed populace, and what we're seeing today, and and this is this is a different show, but you know we, what we're seeing today is that we are now just balkanizing and 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 just going to the sources that we like that that tell us what we want. Everybody's talking about that, but it's a real thing. Yeah. No, that's my one of my favorite jokes that I do in this show because <laughs> uh, I read the actual newspaper, so I always go. I go, well, I read John Cassidy. Now, you could not find two people who are different sides of a political issue than me or John Cassidy. Then on the show, I'll, I'll complain about that. <laughs> I can't believe this guy wrote this right. thing or the Chicago yeah. Tribune editorial board, my favorite boogeyman. Right, right. Uh, and, but I, I, this is almost embarrassing to say, I like reading opposite views. Like David Brooks' column today about, about Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. was the exact opposite of everything I believe. I was mm -hmm. circling yeah, where yeah, I thought he was yeah, full of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get around to it today's show. We did other mm -hmm. things, but I could have did a whole diatribe on how off path he is. Mm -hmm. But I believed, I believe, Ken, that like I'm a, a smarter citizen because I read David Brooks. 100%. 100%. Because it, it sharpens you. I mean, there's nothing I like more, although I'm, as I'm getting older and my mind's getting a little feebler, a little slower, I'm, I'm not enjoying it quite as much. But there's nothing I enjoy more than getting into an argument with somebody who is respectfully on the other side for me. And the two of us can just sit there and just go back and forth on it. And at the end, if you're 
if you're a human being, you've changed your mind a little bit yeah. about, you say, well, you know, you did make a really good point yeah. about that. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I mean, you, you brought up John Cass. Neither of us uh, would consider ourselves to be people who are fully in line with John Cass. But the last thing I would, def- I would be just as ticked off about them firing John Cass as about anybody else. I want, I want, I need him there. Right. So that's, that has been the role of the newspaper. And of course, the argument is, well, all these people are available online. It's not, it's not like you have to have the newspaper. They're all there somewhere. But it's not, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Because it, I, I think of it as just being, it's like this gigantic flat plane, you know, going off hundreds of miles into the distance. There's just nothing out there. And, and there are all these little trees out there on the plane. And it, well, you, you can't differentiate. You don't know what you're talking about, what you're looking at. Uh, one, one change from 2009 to now is that more newsrooms are unionized than they were back then. The Chicago yeah. Tribune, this is startling. And I see Charlie Johnson was on your panel, yeah, and Charlie yeah, Johnson's yeah. one of the leaders. Right. He's a, an employee of the union homepage editor, mm-hmm. and he's one of the leaders of the um, uh, editorial uh, union at there. And he's been on this show a couple, mm-hmm. couple times talking about uh, organizing the uh, editorial workers. Uh, this, uh, the Reader is a union paper, and I know well, the Sun-Times has always been a union mm-hmm. paper. Did people talk about that at all? Did that even come up? It during- did, I, I, although I, I think it, you know, the, it, 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 there were different moods in the room at different times. I don't think there was anybody who would who would have disputed the need for a, a union, and it certainly came up with different people talking about how uh, unions have protected them through the years and so forth. Um, I, I'm amazed and uh, I'm really quite pleased at how how well the negotiations seem to be going with with Tribune. And um, I guess that might be. I, I mean, listen, this is just this is just two old guys sitting around speculating. We might as well be just sitting on a park bench <laughs> for having the. We have no knowledge of this whatsoever. That is true. But I can't help but think that that you know management and workers are kind of in the same basket here at the tribune right now you know they're just kind of sitting there thinking this whole thing is going down the drain hey i'll sign let me sign that let you know let's all try to like let's let's all have be in solidarity yeah. here because we've got a we've got a an enemy coming that is which is be... the enemy is the owner right i mean right. uh yeah. enemy in quote because you're yeah. speaking metaphorically yeah. but yeah uh maybe you're not maybe you're being literal no. uh but uh yeah no that's I, I firmly believe, i said this so many times, that uh, organizing at the reader was key to saving the reader. Uh, I think we would have been put out of existence by our previous owner had we not organized and we were given some protection. Uh, how, how could anybody dispute that? Yeah. I mean, the reader absolutely would not exist today had yeah. it not been for that organizing. For the organizing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. uh, all right. Now, uh, the other thing is uh, the impact of Trump on uh, journalism uh, in the uh, 20, oh, 2020. Did people talk this. about that? Don't get me started. Yeah, please feel free to get <laughs> no, started. I don't believe the name came up once. Wow. I don't think it came up once. It was all a discussion about Chicago and Chicago media and Chicago journalism. And uh, as I said, a huge amount of discussion about um, who will have access to these jobs. Uh, in, I think there's a, there is, again, a kind of a... Uh, a large scale feeling that we are going through a massive demographic shift and that um, in the next 10, 15 years, uh, the people who will be running these organizations, whatever they are, mm-hmm. uh, will be 
very different. They'll be different demographically. I think they'll be different philosophically. And uh, there was a, I think, I don't know, just kind of a general feeling about that. I don't know. Did you get any of that uh, sort of comments that you had in 2009 where it was a generational thing where they were saying, if you only let us run the show, we know how to, did you get, was there any of that? You know, interestingly, that that was one of the big points I wanted to make here today, and I, I just skipped it, is that there are, unlike... When I was talking before about how there were these these kind of younger people who had these kind of startups, you know, with um, John Calloway was on the panel then. May he rest in peace. Is and, that right? John yeah, Calloway was on the- that panel. Yeah, not this one, of course, no. but back then. <laughs> and and he just kind of interrupted when there was someone talking about our new business model, and he just leaned into the microphone and he said, "Your business model is theft," and it just kind of like. The voice of God. (laughs) That's right. And then, you know, basically the whole thing after that was arguing whether or not it was theft. But but the younger people who were starting up these organizations were saying, obviously, that it is not theft, that they were just quoting. Anyway, that's beside the point. The thing is, none of them survived. But today, you've got a half a dozen of these Um, let's just call them online-only news organizations. That's about the only phrase I can come up with that kind of is a basket big enough to hold them all, Um, led, of course, by uh, uh, Block Club Chicago, and Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, Southside Weekly is doing amazing amounts of work. Uh, The the, uh, Chicago Bureau, which is one of my favorites, where they're actually training people. They're actually paying people to be documenters, to go out and go to obscure board meetings that's in the suburbs and at corporations and stuff and document those meetings. There is a really healthy undercurrent of, of younger staffed, but very sincere and devoted journalism going on that has nothing to do with the daily newspapers. And I, I was observing that if you took, if you took Chalkbeat and, um, borderless and 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 i could go on and name like six or eight of these if you took the daily output of all of these organizations the daily line Mm -hmm. and you if you took that all together you could come up with as much as the news hole in the in the sun times every day yeah not produced by a major metropolitan newspaper yeah i was going to argue when i asked you that question uh are the citizens suffering i I was going to argue that no there's probably more i'm just speaking of uh uh, personal level i remember back around the time you were having your town hall meeting uh, if i went to an obscure uh meeting of some chicago board like the uh, chicago uh, commercial uh, but it's a community development corporation mm-hmm. there would be i'd be the only reporter in the room yeah. uh, but now i know because of the widespread online publications i see uh the daily write about these obscure right, groups. Right, so right. I think the Board of Education, we're having better coverage of the Board of Education than was the case uh, 10 years ago mm-hmm. when you uh, were, when you convened that first oh, meeting. Absolutely. So I think we, I, I was actually asking you that question, but I was like, mm-hmm. gonna argue with you if you said we weren't, we, uh, no, I, yeah. I would make the no, case there, that we're better off. There way. is real honest to God journalism yeah. being done every day in this, in this city that is not affiliated in any way with the daily newspapers. Right. And that's a good thing because they may have to fill some big holes in the, in the near future. It's always, a, there's always the question about monetization and yeah. how they can, how they can fund this. 
But uh, uh, your uh, publisher, Tracy Bame at The Reader, uh, is really taking a lead here. And I think it's, it's a good thing to, to give a shout out to her. Uh, the Reader has helped convene the SEMA, which is the uh, Chicago Independent Media Alliance. And they're probably... Uh, approaching a hundred members, I think right now of smaller newspapers, independent organizations that in some way or another do journalism. You can't believe how many of them there are. And they're trying to pull this together so that they can go to the funding community and say, look, instead of all of us coming to you and asking for a thousand dollars, you know, $800 to pay somebody to do a story. How about you give us a few million, you guys pool some money together, even bringing family trusts into the thing, and we could put together a central fund which we'll administer and we will kick this, we'll kickstart some of these organizations that are just ready to go. Yeah. So there's a real, no, real it's energy a total change. There. Philanthropic support uh, for newspapers and for publications, online publications is the future. And Tracy is at the, at the forefront of that. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the thing I was going to raise when I talked about Donald Trump, obviously it's his, his war I'm on sorry. the media. I just and, but I, you know, I was, when I, I, I heard Lori Lightfoot now I'm not in any way, I'm just start to say, Lori Lightfoot is a, a far more benevolent human being than Donald John Trump. Okay. So I'm just, but I'm pointing out something. Okay. Just pointing out something that's fun. So I've been having a, sort of great delight in a perverse way of following Donald Trump's uh, reaction to the coronavirus. Okay. And, uh, and, and how he, first of all, <laughs> when did you last wash your hands? Oh my God. He's just insane. But anyway, so his first reaction is to blame Democrats and, and the news media <laughs> for making too much of it because he, yeah. they, in his they're opinion, trying to get him, get, trying to get him. Yeah. And they're the reason that they've triggered the stock market decline. And right. now everybody's going right. to blame him. Right. Right. He's like, gee, and he's the reason just... the stock market declined, by the way, I was watching that one live too. The reason the stock market is declining is because of that democratic debate. Did you see that part of it where he said it was because this was on Wednesday and he said last night they were all watching that Democratic debate and they said I, the thought of these people running the country and so it crashed the stock market. Of course, the stock market had been going down for two days before the debate. But it doesn't matter what Donald Trump matter. says because people are going to if they want to believe him, they're going to believe him. But so fast forward today, I'm listening to Lori Lightfoot talk about the coronavirus and she was a little irritated it was like a little Trumpian coming out of this. She was a little irritated mm -hmm. at their overreaction. Mm -hmm. She felt that it like would hurt Chinatown. Mm -hmm. People weren't going to Chinatown yeah, because yeah. they're afraid of getting the virus. And I'm like, man, The, 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 the media gets it from both sides. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I know I'm always venting on the New York Times mm -hmm. and the Chicago Tribune mm -hmm. and their coverage and the Bernie Sanders supporter in me is always upset that Bernie's getting grilled. You know, But when I say it, I realize I'm being a little illogical. But <laughs> Ken, I feel this is... Mark that one down. Yeah. Ben Jarofsky admits to illogicalness. Being illogical. yeah. I kind of deal with that every day of my life one way or another i admit it openly in many counts i what realize makes you so lovable yeah i realize i'm a little weird but okay <laughs> yeah. just stick with me so but i'm i have the feeling that everybody's using the media as a punching bag yeah. these days and i don't know it i think there's accumulation of blows that it takes like a boxer mm -hmm. and it 
damages the body. Yeah, yeah. Do you share my same concern? Oh, I, I think that uh, I, Carol Marine was on one of our panels and she said that one of our, I'm, boy, am I misquoting her here, but, but essentially. <laughs> paraphrasing. Uh, paraphrasing. <laughs> no, misquoting is probably more accurate. But essentially saying that one of our biggest problems is that we don't tell our own story. We don't, we don't. I, Rob Feeder also said the same thing. In fact, Rob Feeder was really very eloquent about it. He said, uh, "He said all day long, you have all these political entities scoring points by talking about what a lousy job you do as journalists, and you don't have any way of fighting back on that. You don't have any way of saying no. Here's the real case, right? Other than what you're doing, you know, other than what you're writing every day. So this is a problem. This is a problem for the industry. It needs allies to stand up for it mm -hmm. and say, you know, what I just said. We need this. We well, need the, our our democracy needs this. I I agree. And this is what I'm about to say now. I realize could be a whole show in and of itself. So it's uh, it's not doing it a service to introduce it near the end of the conversation. But I, I've long argued that journalists, the way they're taught to go about their business with this, and I put objectivity in air quotes, this objective model. Yeah, which is BS. Yeah, it is always works was. against them. It so, always, for instance, did. with I tease make my dear friend Mick Dumkey about this. All. Critics say, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, like Donald Trump says uh, there yeah. is no climate threat, yeah. and then critics say, right, right. no, he's every scientist in the world says uh -huh. that Donald Trump is making this stuff as he goes along to protect his funders. Well, you know what. It's possible that if, if our country survives and we're still here 20 years from now, we will look back on this as being a very interesting time, another one of those inflection points, because um, uh, we will say that Donald Trump actually, he actually began to raise that question in a way that made us all think about, well, wait, is he telling the truth about that? Because you know what what you were just saying right it, the, there might be a reaction to that and it might have a positive it might have a positive response and one of the things is that i'm seeing now for the first time i think we all, we're all seeing it in washington post new york times particularly but in in other places where they they are they've been experimenting for months with how to say but what he said was a lie, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and more and more they're finding ways to finesse this, to say, not just, you know, experts say, yeah, that, no, experts no, actually, say. but, but what, what I'm seeing more and more in the reportage, in the, in the story about what the president yeah. said, they'll just simply, the next sentence is, however, 25,000 you know, it's not 25,000, it's actually 300. Yeah. Or, or there's know. no evidence right, whatsoever right, right. to uh, support, support what he said. Yeah. Uh, and that's how conventional journalism uh, deals with this. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to be more assertive, I think, mm -hmm. to pick up what, what Carol Marine was saying. I don't know if she was literally saying this, but I do believe journalists, if they're going to survive in this era where everybody is punching them, mm -hmm. I agree with you have to stand up for yourself right, right. and you can't just be a punching bag. All right, before we uh, head out the door, uh, two old goats talking to each other. Uh, now there's... That's the that's the name of that the show. Great <laughs> that is a great podcast name for you too. Two old goats, two old talk goats talking to each other. <laughs>
<laughs> in the middle hey. of, in the middle of the song. And now here's your host, the, Ben Jarovsky. <laughs> in the middle of uh, your preparation, and I know you and Linda were working around the clock setting this up. And let's let's just take wait, can I just wait, hold on. One, two, how many? Twenty-four. Twenty-four. <laughs> you got twenty-four people. I'm looking at these guys. You know, Jim Kirk, publisher and executive editor of Crane Chicago, Seamus Toomey, editor in chief, co-founder of Block, Tiffany Walden Tribe. It was almost a guest on the Ben Jarofsky show, but she had to cancel. Oh, uh, I was wondering about that, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's just like... We got her. Yeah, you... <laughs> oh, interview over. <laughs> uh, ben, I didn't have any problems. When I was doing the TV show, one of the people, one of my guests I always wanted was Bruce Dole. Never could get him. But, but he, he came got, to this he thing. Came, he came hey, you got thing. a lot of time now. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. This uh, thing, you call it. Okay, anyway, just... Kudos to you two guys. Anyway, it was the middle of cutting deals. He had doled on the phone. Look, all right, yeah, can I yeah. get you on the phone. Da, 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 da. Hold on, I got rising on hold. Oh uh, yeah, you know, uh, Steve Edwards online too. Cutting deals, Kenny D. All right, in the middle of it all, I call him uh, to talk. Just like you know, when he's Ken, I do this all the time with the poor guy. He's driving in the car. And I'm calling him like, oh my God, did Blago, see? did you see Blago? <laughs> Usually he texts my calls, D, but he was so busy cutting deals with, let's just take, well, I already did Tiffany, Dorothy Lavelle <laughs> on line four. Chris Charlie Busco. Myers, yeah. Uh, anyway, so Tracy Blago, Bain. man, wow. Blago gets uh, out of federal prison thanks to Donald John Trump. But then... He gets he gets put in a room with Anderson Cooper, and I think he's going to voluntarily go back to prison after that because it's safer it's safer for him in prison. Man, that you know we talk about we talk about journalism today. Now, kids, I want you to watch that, and I want you to study that as a as an example of how to prepare for an interview. Yeah. That was interview prep. I mean it. Every time Blago opened his mouth, Anderson Cooper would say, well, that's not true because it was 27. There were 13 of these. Yeah. And it was, it was a tour de force yeah, to watch. Yeah, it that. was. It was amazing. And so uh, I wasn't really watching Blago. I was watching the interview. No, uh, but I, I put this in print finally. When I, uh, I can't remember where I was. I was in a restaurant or something, and uh, Blago had just been released. It was on the boob tube. I was going to say, uh, we're about an hour in. and uh, <laughs> You've you got to be kidding. I'm having such a good time. Yeah, I know. Me too. And we're going to do Beyond the Column. Oh, and i got a right. feeling we're going to be talking right, a lot of Blago No more there, Blago. So. No more Blago. You're right. <laughs> Correct. All right. No singing. Uh, so wait, are we going to break? This, this is how this show works. Yeah. I ask him. Uh -huh. Show so, meeting. Uh, show, this is called pre-show prep. <laughs> in the middle. So are we going to end this segment and then yes. do a whole separate thing? Yes. Now, is this going to go out on the podcast? I mean, people are going to get to hear this? Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah oh, good, oh, yeah. Good, good. Wait. Good, good. I the like Bendrowski that. show edit yeah. something? Well, I, I thought maybe <laughs> I'm a listener and I don't hear this very often. I just thought maybe this was. Uh, maybe Sometimes the, Dennis does, cut, maybe, you know, maybe snip, Dennis snip, you know, like when of, people really. Uh, yeah. Well, whatever. I still want us repeating ourselves and you know what I mean? We got to oh, yeah. be on the right. column. You know what? That's why I pay him all that money. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm so rich. <laughs> Guys want to have a spaghetti luncheon at my house this weekend? <laughs> so right. rich. Oh, you still have that house. <laughs> so let's end this. Ben Jarofsky bonus show. Kenneth Davis, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, 
They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.